0: About two weeks ago, my wife, Savannah, and I purchased a brand new kitchen sink. I brought it home. I placed it on top of our kitchen counters, and we both just looked at it and thought about how nice it would be the day that we installed it. Earlier that day, I told my wife that I wasn't going to waste my day off trying to put this thing together and putting it in our countertops because I can't even hang curtain rods properly. Therefore, I knew if I tried to put in this sink that things weren't going to end well. I mean, after all, that's what a plumber is for. And so as I stood in the middle of our kitchen, I was silently staring at our old sink and our new sink, and I got to thinking a little bit. <laughs> my wife knew exactly what I was thinking. Just at that time, she placed her phone in my hand. I looked down, and it was a YouTube video entitled, How to Properly Install a Kitchen Sink. <laughs> I mean, talk about being manipulative. Manipulative. Now, how many of you by Brief Show fans have ever tried to install or fix something based upon a video that you watched on YouTube before? you've been there before. I mean, they make it look so incredibly easy, right? I mean, you do these eight simple steps and you have a brand new kitchen overnight. I mean, they make it look like anyone can do it. And so as I'm watching this video, which, by the way, had this inspirational music playing in the background, like I'm watching Chariots of Fire or something... The guy kept saying over and over again. He said, you know, this really isn't that complicated of a project. I bet you can have it done in about two hours or so. Well, by that point, he really didn't know the audience that he was speaking to. And I was sold. And so I then made the mistake of telling my wife, I bet I can do this in about one hour. You laugh. I don't know why. Twelve hours later. Savannah and I find ourselves sitting on a wet kitchen floor surrounded by tools and sawdust and sawed-off pipes and bolts and pipe grind that I'm sure is bound to cause some type of infection if you come in contact with it. And according to the video, the only thing that I had accomplished within that 12-hour span was successfully removing our old sink. Now, though the new sink had been placed in our counter, none of the pipes had been connected. The water wasn't on. Our garbage disposal hadn't been put into position. And I have to confess to you that I wasn't thinking very good thoughts about that guy on the video that kept saying, it's really not that complicated of a project. You can do it in about two hours or so. I may have wanted to punch him in the face at that point. Uh, I mean, what a joke, right? Well, like any man, I don't accept failure and loss all that well. And so that's why I am proud to announce to you today that after three days, two arguments with my wife, $150, and four trips to Ace's Hardware later, that sink got successfully put in our kitchen. <laughs> my, my wife really did a good job on it. Uh. I got to tell you, I look back at that experience and I cringe at that video for making it look like putting in a kitchen sink really is no big deal. Now what was so frustrating for me was that I had followed the steps that the video laid out exactly to a T, yet obviously things didn't go as planned. I mean, that entire weekend, I was tense, and I was frustrated, and I felt just a little bit defeated as a man because I couldn't accomplish this project. Now, I kept re-watching the video over and over again to see if I had somehow missed something. About three different times, I totally gave up on putting this sink in my, in my kitchen. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what your expectations were going into marriage, I don't know what step-by-step instructions you were given for having a happily ever after story. I don't know how you pictured your life going after saying, I do. But I am willing to bet that you had a moment or a season of your life where you wondered what you got yourself into. I mean, this, is, this isn't what I signed up for. You never told me that when we were dating. I mean, how could you? You're just like your mother. Now what, made every, what makes things so annoying and difficult is watching movies and TV shows and reading books and magazines and blog posts that make marriage to seem like it's just a walk in the park. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes it takes every ounce of us to not just throw in the towel altogether. That's why one of the most important things that you and I can do is go back to the author of marriage and see how he declares that marriage is to work best. It doesn't matter if you're single or married today. I'm sure that if you're single, you feel a little bit left out in this series, especially having just watched that video. Therefore, I want you to know that you are more than a person who happens to not have a spouse, that you are not lesser of a person simply because you are not married. First and foremost, your identity is in the fact that you are made in the image of our creator God. Now, in the context of marriage, to understand what God says is right and true for the husband and wife in the confines of marriage, we must understand three things right up front, and that is value, function, and response. Value, function, and response. Well, according to God, both the husband and the wife have equal value. We are both co-heirs with Christ in our inheritance. Now, just because we have the same worth, just because we have equal value doesn't mean that we have the same role. Therefore, God has outlined for us as husband and wife to have different functions in the relationship. God calls all men to be the head of the home. What does that mean? It means he is the leader, the provider, and the protector. Notice the word dictator is not up there. The wife is called to be the encourager, the helper, and the manager. Now, she is not lesser of a person simply because this is her role and her function in the relationship. That's just what God has outlined for, uh, for the husband and the wife. Now, God has designed for our role and our function to feed and to nourish our spouse's deepest relational need. And so that's why function leads to response. One day, God is going to hold all husbands accountable to how well they have loved their wife. And likewise, ladies, one day God will hold all wives accountable to how well they have respected their husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says it like this, he makes it very clear, he says, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now ladies, everything you say, everything you do, men see through the lens of respect. And likewise, ladies, or men, everything that we do and everything we say, men see through, or, or ladies see through the lens of love. Now, if you want some more f- further clarification on this, it's kind of a cycle how the love and respect dynamic goes pair and pair. Guys, love to your wife leads to respect from your wife. If respect is your deepest need, this is her deepest need, and they complement one another. And ladies, respect to your husband leads to love from your husband. Now it's not a guarantee, this isn't a promise, this is just a wise principle to apply to your marriage. If you have your Bibles what I want you to do is go ahead and open up to the Old Testament book of Joshua and today we're going to be in chapter 24 Joshua is in the Old Testament in the front third of your Bibles on page 168 and today we'll be in chapter 24 and before we talk to the ladies about respecting their husbands I think it's important that we establish up front what living a life of respect looks like for every single man I think a lot of men aren't respected in their homes because they have this false idea of manhood Now, there's no better example, in my opinion, of a true man than this guy by the name of Joshua. Now, to give a little context here, Joshua was the understudy to Moses who was commissioned to lead God's people out of slavery and into the Promised Land. Now, after Moses had died, God chose Joshua to succeed him and become the leader of the Israelites. And so where we pick up today, Joshua is at the end of his life. And so sensing that death is at hand, Joshua gathers his men together one last time for a final word. He's talking to men here in verse 14. Look at what we read. Joshua says, so fear the Lord and serve him alone wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone, he says. Now do you see what Joshua does here? He makes it clear that there comes a point in a man's journey where he alone is responsible to how he lives. You see, here's what I've come to learn. Nothing has the potential to be more destructive towards your future than your past. Yet true godliness calls us as men to take responsibility despite what's been done to us. Look at verse 15, he continues. He says, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? He's saying here, look, be decisive. God is not into half-hearted followers. But as for me and my family, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. Now Joshua was not going to call his men to do something that he wasn't first willing to do himself. He embodied the essence of manhood. Now there are really many ideas floating around today about what men should do and who men should be and really I think all we've done is reduce masculinity down to an image but really there's so much more to it than just that and so despite what you've been told before here's what manhood is manhood has very little to do with capability and everything to do with responsibility Now, I know that as I say that some of us think well that's a little bit backwards because we're told all around us that being a man is based upon how well you do something now, how many of you have seen before the Dos Equis beer commercials? Yeah, don't be ashamed. You know, the ones with the most interesting man in the world in them. Yeah, if you haven't seen them before, it's this guy who supposedly perfectly embodies what being a man is all about. and He's kind of a Chuck Norris-like figure with a beard. And, and the commercial spends its entire time just recounting different events in his life or different things that he's done that, uh, uh, th- that defines his manhood. And so here's what one commercial says, they're really quite funny, they're humorous. One says this, he's been known to cure narcolepsy just by walking into a room. His organ donation card also lists his beard. (laughs) He's a lover, not a fighter, but he's also a fighter, so don't get any ideas. He is the most interesting man in the world. Now, if you watch those commercials, you walk away thinking that being a man is all about how well you do something. But really, that's just reducing masculinity down to an image or a task. So rather, according to God, the gauge of manliness in your life can be seen in your willingness to absorb responsibility with joy. Our very first father, Adam, didn't do this too well in the Garden of Eden when his wife ate the forbidden fruit that God said to not eat, to not do. God confronted the two of them, but do you know whom he held accountable? Look at Genesis chapter 3, here's here's what we read. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God is still asking this same question today. Teenage girls are giving up their virginities to their boyfriends and God is asking, dads, where are you? Pornography continues to make its way into homes because let's be honest, it's a little bit easier to click a few buttons than to pursue a wife and God says, husbands, where are you? Single moms are having to raise more and more children all by themselves and God is asking husbands, dads, where are you? Your wife is lonely at home and so God is asking dads, where are you? You see, instead of caring for his his wife and leading her well in the Garden of Eden, Adam remained passive and in essence allowed the serpent to drag his wife away from the presence of God. And so guys, what we take away from that is our natural inclination is to be passive and dish, bl- and dish the blame whenever the heat is upon us. And so rather we must wage war against these deadly desires. Can you identify and declare with that song that was just sung that you will not give up on your marriage, that you will not give up on your role of being a father? Or What about purity as a single man? Well, after Joshua got done challenging his men, the Bible says that he died. And the book of Joshua then ends like this in verse 31. It says, The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of all the elders who outlived him. Those who had personally experienced all the Lord had done for Israel. You see, Joshua made his people his responsibility. I mean, he cared for them even when they didn't trust his leadership. When they doubted him, he still listened. When life was discouraging, he pushed them forward. When enemies attacked, he protected them. And ultimately, the Israelites led them. He led the Israelites to new beginnings as they crossed the promised land and begun a new life. Now, let me ask you: Does that sound like anybody else in the Bible? I mean, does he resemble any other man in Scripture? Now what's interesting is that uh, the name Joshua in Hebrew literally means Yahweh saves or God is salvation. And when we translate that to English, do you know the name that we get? Jesus. See, the truth is Jesus is our better Joshua. He is our warrior. I mean, think about it like this. Our sin is our fault. We're the ones who have rebelled and disobeyed. It's not Jesus' fault. Yet he has made our sin his responsibility. The New Testament says it like this in Second Corinthians chapter five, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so what does Jesus being our warrior have to do with being a better man? I mean everything. Because you see, what I understand is that if you follow a weak God, then don't be surprised to live an emasculated life. And I think a lot of us, a lot of us have a weak view of who Jesus really is. And you might be thinking right about now, well, what about Patrick, what about the, the, the Lamb of God Jesus, the, the meek, the kind, the gentle, the compassionate Jesus? I mean, if he was really so strong, why didn't he remove himself from the cross? Well, honestly, that's the Jesus we should probably fear the most. You see, the Bible says that whenever Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, his friend Peter immediately took out a sword and cut off the ears of one of the soldiers. A little bit annoyed by this, Jesus bends down, picked up the severed ear, and immediately heals the soldier right there on the spot. And then he turns to his friend Peter and says, Look, if I wanted to get out of this, I could. I mean, I'm God. I created this whole thing. I could send 10,000 angels right now to save me. I could single-handedly beat down every one of these soldiers that is demanding for my life. I am God. I created everything. But instead, Jesus stands there and he's bound up. He's stripped naked. He's mocked. He's verbally and physically abused in front of a crowd of people. He's tortured. He's beaten. And ultimately, he's put to death. Now, let me ask you, is that weakness or is that strength? It depends on how you look at it. Here's what I mean. Guys, say you go home tonight, and as you walk through your front door, it becomes apparent that your family is being held hostage by some criminal. The criminal locks eyes with you and says, Look, someone's going to get beat tonight. It's either you or it's them. You're not allowed to fight back, flinch, or defend yourself because if you do, your family gets it. And so, guys, what do you do? That's a no brainer. You take the beating. You see, if someone is going to get hurt, the strong man offers himself in place of those he loves most in the world. Now close your eyes. Picture that Jesus. Picture strong, warrior, dangerous Jesus. Now here's the thing. If you are following a weak Jesus, if you are following a weak Jesus, then you are following the wrong Jesus. I mean, after all, who wants to follow a weak God? And so ladies, before I talk to you, two questions I want to throw your way, guys. And I just want you to spend a couple days thinking about this. I want you to talk about it with your wife and pray through them in an effort to just diagnose where you're at with this. Is your wife closer to Jesus because of you or in spite of you? Second question. What are you doing that is making it difficult for your wife to respect you? What are you doing that is making it difficult for your wife to respect you? Maybe this is more of a question of what you were not doing. And so my challenge to you is to think these through for the next couple days and talk about them with your wife. Now if you would, I want you to go ahead and flip your Bibles over to 2 Samuel chapter six, just a couple books over from Joshua. I believe it's on page 268 and the Bible's right in front of you. Now 2 Samuel is um, the story of King David and where we pick up today in chapter six. He is bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem in an effort to make his city the focal point of worship towards the Lord. Now, the journey to bring the ark to the city took months. It took 30,000 of David's elite army to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And so you can imagine why there was so much music and yelling and celebrating. I mean, this was a national holiday and a huge victory for David. But too bad, too bad not everybody saw it that way. Look at verse 16. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Now Michael was David's wife whom he loved. And like what happens in a lot of marriages today, bitterness began to take root in her heart. And so as everyone is rejoicing in this triumphant moment for the nation of Israel, the most important person in the king's life is nowhere to be seen. You see, instead of dancing and celebrating with David, she looked down from her window Instead of being beside him to encourage him, she looked down from her window. Instead of thanking God for using David for such a monumental task, she looked down from her window. And I know that there are many marriages in here today that are suffering and in the chapel because a wife is looking down at her husband from a window. Every night he prays before dinner in an effort to lead his family spiritually yet she never expresses how grateful she is for his leadership. Every day he works eight to five in an effort to provide for his family yet she never expresses her gratitude or praises his work ethic in front of others. Every day he gives you the affection that you need and fills you up with words of affirmation yet it's been weeks or even months since she's willing since since she's been willing to have sex with him. Now, ladies, I know that this isn't always on purpose. And to give you the benefit of the doubt, this, you're not, this isn't always something that you're extremely intentional with. Therefore, that's why every single day you must wake up and ask yourself, how can I climb down from my window to be on my husband's side? Now, guys, we can't expect perfection here by any means. As I was studying for this message, I came across this... Um, This little doll called Mrs. Wonderful, and on the back of it it says she's 11 inches tall, blonde, beautiful. She's supportive and low maintenance, just the kind of woman that any man would want by his side. (laughs) Now she says different things that every husband dreams of hearing. Let me just give you a few samples here. Are you sure it's okay to wash this shirt? You've only worn it for a couple of days. (laughs) How about this one? One more. Don't worry about taking the trash out. I can use the exercise. <laughs> hey, you know what? Maybe one more. How about that? It really doesn't matter if you leave the toilet seat up. It makes it easier to clean. <laughs> <laughs> How many of you have a wife like that? Uh, zero. <laughs> You know, some of us, sadly, that's the expectation that we had going into marriage that our spouse was going to fulfill every need, every desire that we had every waking moment. But you know what? That's simply idolatry. You know, one of the things that, one of the biggest lies that I think we can buy as we're dating and as we're engaged is that somehow your future spouse will complete you as a person. Now that sounds really romantic and we're told from all sides of culture, but again, deep down it's simply idolatry and it's putting a level of pressure upon someone that no one on this face of the planet can meet. You see, only Jesus can make you whole. Now getting back to our story, guys, we need to realize that not even the king of the greatest country in the world at the time was respected in his own home. Now after the ark had been placed in its special tent, David made sacrifices to God and went to every Israelite and blessed them. And so to say the least, this was a really long day of work for him. But as David drew near his home that night, I imagine that a grin came across his face remembering that he hadn't yet shared this victory with his bride. But that smile, that smile is about to be removed. Look at verse 20. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person would do. Well, it's good to see you too. Now, just like, there's a side note, ladies. I mean, oftentimes how you welcome your husband home from work really sets the tone for the entire evening. Now look at this label that she puts upon David. She described him as a vulgar person. And she violated one rule that my wife and I have, that no matter what, always trust good intentions. Now David reacts here naturally. Verse 21, David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. And so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am even willing to look more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls that you mentioned will indeed think that I am distinguished. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. You see, David was willing to be humiliated in front of his nation, in front of a crowd, in order to pursue a deeper relationship with the Lord. Now, the crowds admired him for this, but too bad his wife, Michael, didn't see it that way. And so, ladies, here's your takeaway. Someone will give your husband the respect he needs. Just make sure that person is you. Just make sure that person is you. Now, I'm not saying at all that this is right. But David declares to Michael, look, if you aren't going to admire me, if you aren't going to give me the respect that I so crave, then there is a crowd of women waiting outside this palace who are willing to fulfill that need of mine. You see, you are setting your husband up for intense temptation when you send him out of your home with a heart that is craving and desiring respect. I mean, he will be prone to do things that he normally wouldn't do. Now, um, I'm grateful to have a wife who does this really well. And i got to tell you that I feel most respected by Savannah when we just sit on a couch and we just laugh together watching a show or something. Because you know what that tells me? It tells me that we're friends, that we're companions, and that we're in this together. I love it when I overhear her telling our kids, you guys are so lucky to have a dad who cares so much for you. I love it when I open up my sermon folder and there inside is a little note. She might be saying, hey, I'm praying for you. You see, one of the most important things that you can do, ladies, is be praying for your husband. I mean, after all, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9 says it like this. It's better to stay outside on the roof of your house than to live inside with a nagging wife. How many of you guys can identify? No, do not raise your hand. We did have a guy raise his hand last night. His wife wasn't here. Now, ladies, you you may not know this, but perhaps you're sitting beside a husband right now who's building steps to that roof because of how you have been treating him lately. And my experience has been is that a man will not open up to a woman who does not respect him. And so how are you doing with this? And what I'd like to do now is just look at this story of Michael and David from an alternative perspective. How would David and Michael's marriage gone differently had Michael shown respect Dave to, to David that evening? And so what I'd like to do is just go through that story real briefly and underline everything that would have been a game changer, everything that would have alternated and and been a good change for their marriage. I've underlined the words and phrases. Here it is. As the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, was beside him, showing everyone her support of him. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with respect and admiration for him. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him with red lipstick and a black dress. (laughs) Maybe a tight black dress at that, I don't know. Uh, She said with sincerity and joy how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, dancing with dignity in front of everyone like any godly, admirable person might do. David gently responded to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me of all people. Can you imagine that? He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. And so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even, even to be humiliated in my own eyes, as long as it doesn't embarrass you, baby. But those servant girls may that you mentioned may think that I am distinguished but you know what it doesn't matter. Why? Because I have you. And so Michael, the daughter of Saul, had many children with David throughout her entire life and the process for having a baby began that very night. (laughs) Happy Father's Day. (laughs) All the men are clapping. Now here's the thing ladies, I get it that your husband isn't always respectable. And I've said it many times before. And because I'm a pastor, people think I have it together a lot more than I really do. But I have to tell you that that I'm prideful. That I um, I sometimes check out emotionally at home. I'm overly negative at times. My wife and I—we've had to work through a lot because of some previous relationships that I've had. And you know what? Your husband has his list too. He's without a job right now. He lied to you last week. He can't put his email away at dinner. He goes fishing too often. He doesn't give you the affection that you need. He doesn't communicate his emotions enough. Now let's take this a little bit deeper. He recently confessed to using pornography. You caught him sending some inappropriate text messages to a coworker. He walked out on you. Now he wants to be back into your life. And I know what you're thinking. How am I supposed to respect that? I don't live in your home. I don't walk in your shoes. I don't know how much pain you have endured because of some wounds that your husband or previous husband has inflicted upon you. But what I do know is that there is not a wife in this room and in the chapel who's remained totally faithful to Jesus, yet never once, never once has Jesus served you with divorce papers. Never has he threatened to walk out on you or given you the silent treatment. Never once. And so if there is a part of you that wants to restore what you once had, maybe there's divorce papers at home and you just have to sign them, but there's a part of you that is is considering otherwise, you're second-guessing this decision, would you just have the courage to ask yourself this one question? Would you have the courage to face it with honesty? How would you treat your husband differently if you started seeing him for who he is becoming rather than who he is? You want to know why I think a lot of ladies don't respect their husbands? Because they see them for who they are rather than who they are becoming. But you see, God doesn't see us that way. You see, in the book of Judges, God calls Gideon to be one of the Israel's judge, and he approaches him by saying, it Gideon, you are my strong and my mighty warrior. Now, you have to understand that Gideon was anything but that at that particular point in his life. The Bible later says that Gideon was the weakest in his family, and his family was the weakest in all the tribe. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus turns to his buddy Peter and says, Peter, you are a rock. You know what? Peter is anything but a rock. After saying that, a few months later, he would deny Jesus three times before his crucifixion. And you see, the same is true for us. Even in sin. Even in darkness. God is working on us to become better men. He uses our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups to become better what he longs for us to be. Do you believe that? Can you submit to that truth that God is seeing us for who we are becoming rather than who we are? And can you identify with that Jason Mraz song that we sung a moment ago and declare that you won't give up on your marriage? And so what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna sing a song and then we're gonna get out of here. But I know that there are many of us in here, our marriage is on the rocks. We came here and you're existing together but you're not really living together what I want you to do is we're going to do things just a little bit differently what I want you to do is I just want you to muster up the courage the surface humility and go and see a section host a nearby section host, they're so wearing red lanyards they'll be out in the aisleways here and I just want to ask the section host to just pray over your marriage, to pray over your role as a husband or as a father Because here's what I know. You can't do it without the power of God in your life. And how do you get the power of God? Well, it starts by humbling yourself and asking for it. And so guys, this is a great opportunity for you to take charge and lead. Ladies, this is a great opportunity for you to show that you haven't yet given up on your marriage. And so section notes, go ahead and make your way to the aisles. They're wearing red lanyards. See a nearby section host, and they would love to pray over you. I'm going to pray for us right now, and we're going to stand up and sing a song. And if you want prayer, then you go and see a nearby section host. Let's pray. Father, I know that uh, there are many of us in here. This message, this message, really hurts because of what we're going through lately. And so, God, my prayer is simple. Would you just, would you show us that there is, there is? nothing that we have done that is bigger than your ability to redeem. There is nothing that we have done that is bigger than your ability to fix. God, practically, would you just show couples in here right now that redemption is possible, restoration is made available, all because of what you have done for us. We love you, and we thank you so much for the cross. It reminds us that we continue to need the gospel in our life. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You caught him sending some inappropriate text messages to a coworker. He walked out on you. Now he wants to be back into your life. And I know what you're thinking. How am I supposed to respect that? I don't live in your home. I don't walk in your shoes. I don't know how much pain you have endured because of some wounds that your husband or previous husband has inflicted upon you. But what I do know is that there is not a wife in this room and in the chapel who has remained totally faithful to Jesus, yet never once, never once has Jesus served you with divorce papers. Never has he threatened to walk out on you or given you the silent treatment. Never once. And so if there is a part of you that wants to restore what you once had, Maybe there's divorce papers at home and you just have to sign them, but there's a part of you that is is considering otherwise. You're second-guessing this decision. Would you just have the courage to ask yourself this one question? Would you have the courage to face it with honesty? How would you treat your husband differently if you started seeing him for who he is becoming rather than who he is? You want to know why I think a lot of ladies don't respect their husbands? Because they see them for who they are rather than who they are becoming. But you see, God doesn't see us that way. You see, in the book of Judges, God calls Gideon to be one of the Israel's judge. And he approaches him by saying, it Gideon, you are my strong and my mighty warrior. Now you have to understand that Gideon was anything but that at that particular point in his life. The Bible later says that Gideon was the weakest in his family. And his family was the weakest in all the tribe. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus turns to his buddy Peter and says, Peter, you are a rock. You know what? Peter is anything but a rock. After saying that, a few months later, he would deny Jesus three times before his crucifixion. And you see, the same is true for us. Even in sin. Even in darkness. God is working on us to become better men. He uses our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups to become better what he longs for us to be. Do you believe that? Can you submit to that truth that God is seeing us for who we are becoming rather than who we are? And can you identify with that Jason Mraz song that we sung a moment ago and declare that you won't give up on your marriage? And so what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna sing a song and then we're gonna get out of here. But I know that there are many of us in here, our marriage is on the rocks. We came here and you're existing together, but you're not really living together. And what I want you to do is, we're gonna do things just a little bit differently. What I want you to do is I just want you to muster up the courage, the surface humility, and go and see a section host, a nearby section host. They're wearing red lanyards, they'll be out in the aisleways here. And I just wanna ask the section host to just pray over your marriage, to pray over your role as a husband or as a father, because here's what I know. You can't do it without the power of God in your life. And how do you get the power of God? Well, it starts by humbling yourself and asking for it. And so, guys, this is a great opportunity for you to take charge and lead. Ladies, this is a great opportunity for you to show that you haven't yet given up on your marriage. And so, section notes, go ahead and make your way to the aisles. They're wearing red lanyards. See a nearby section host, and they would love to pray over you. I'm going to pray for us right now, and we're going to stand up and sing a song. And if you want prayer, then you go and see a nearby section host. Let's pray. Father, I know that uh, there are many of us in here. This message, this message, really hurts because of what we're going through lately. And so, God, my prayer is simple. Would you just, would you show us that there is, there is nothing that we have done that is bigger than your ability to redeem. There is nothing that we have done that is bigger than your ability to fix. And God, practically, would you just show couples in here right now that redemption is possible, restoration is made available, all because of what you have done for us. We love you, and we thank you so much for the cross. It reminds us that we continue to need the gospel in our life. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.